0: welcome to another episode of who says no the nba trade podcast where we only talk about trades because that's all you people ever want to talk about colin is out today but fortunately we have a very worthy replacement in jonathan Macri. he is the dean of nicks film school he writes for sports illustrated he's also just one of the nicest guys in basketball so jonathan how you doing
1: um, Man, I, I, I never take compliments well, so I don't know what to say about that. Other than that, uh, I have free time on my hands. Um, I think about the Knicks a lot. I think about the NBA a lot. So I write stuff, and thank you for having me on.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm still very new to hosting a podcast. I have to say the one area that I'm really happy with myself about is the intros. I feel like I'm <laughs> nailing them every single time. Everybody's always like, oh, that's such a you know nice intro. Thank you for the compliments. But you know what? If I can't be the perfect basketball host, and that's gonna take time, I feel like I can be a very welcoming host to my guests. We're also just this on a very run, we a very nice run here of having like nice guests that I actually like am excited to introduce. Like we started with James Herbert, who is like, I swear, if you ask that guy for a kidney, he'd say, oh, you sure you don't want to? Then we had Ryan Blackburn, who is so nice that Doris Burke is calling him out on Twitter. And now we have you. So I feel like this could be a nice branding thing where we just only have nice, pleasant people on the show, which is a nice counterbalance for me, because as anybody who follows me on Twitter knows, like all I do is just stick a knife between my teeth and dive into the waters. So I'm excited (laughs) for this. I think this is a good brand for the show. But the reason we have you here is because the Knicks, for the first time in... God, I think I was in college the last time they were remotely good or entertaining. The Knicks are good and entertaining.
1: <laughs> they are. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the 2012-2013 the season is, is the one that stands out from the last 20 years. I mean, obviously, there's some other moments. Insanity, I mean... The cup of coffee we had with uh, Porzingis that first glorious month of the season uh, when he was, you know, averaging twenty eight a game and he was all efficient and everything and are like, all right, we got our core, Timmy, Timmy, and Frank and KP, and here we go, and uh, yeah, but for the most part, this is uh, I I think as enjoyable as anything we've seen for you know s- since that uh, that really one good mellow team.
0: You know what it reminds me a little bit of that first like three months of the 2010-11 season when Amari came in and was just like an MVP candidate and he hits the buzzer beater against Boston. It doesn't count, but in our hearts it all counted. That's sort of where we're at with Julius Randle, which I think is a nice place to start because coming into the season, I mean, they drafted Obi Toppin number eight. Like Obi Toppin, the best version of him is what we imagine the best version of Julius Randle to be clearly they didn't think he was part of their long-term plans. Now Julius is like the face of the franchise and it only took, like a month of games. And I think this is a nice place to start because frankly, this entire Knicks season has been really unexpected. Nobody thought they were going to be this good. Now we have to kind of recalibrate A, the short-term expectations, B, the long-term expectations. And I think that starts with Randall where I think we both assumed he'd probably be gone after the season based on what happened last year. Now he might be like the foundational piece. So just what's your initial read on Randall's early season? Do you think like, Are you thinking, oh, we're going to flip him at the deadline and just cash out while the value is high? Or are you thinking Julius Randle is our guy? He's here for good.
1: Yeah, it's a gosh, it's a fascinating question, because just thinking about Randle's trade value in the offseason before we got to this point, um, it really was a matter of asking yourself, okay, is there a team that might view him as a net neutral asset on his salary, which, you know, part of the benefit that I think a lot of Knicks fans were thinking is that a team could wipe away next year's salary for just $4 million. And if they needed to stretch that, it's, you know, it's not a huge hit. Like that was the mindset heading into the year because we all watched last season. Um, and now we've seen this player who they're running the offense through. And it is to be clear, a bottom six offense. So it's not like it's any great shakes, but at the same time, he doesn't exactly have, um, a whole lot of help. And he is the one, um, you know, I, I, we're the only, I think we're the only team in the NBA that starts a point guard that is, I mean, what's, what's, what's below the level of non-shooter? Um, I
0: think Alfred Payton might honestly be the worst starting player in the NBA, and I don't even know that it's close. Like, I'm thinking oof. back to old teams. Like, worst I think Quincy A.C. was a starter for a little while. Like,
1: Yeah, that I happened.
0: Mean, I mean, the only other argument you could make is, like, Kelly Oubre shooting so badly, but even he's starting to come around.
1: but he's, you know, he could do some things. And, and to be clear, Alfred Payton can do some things. And I think there is a universe and there's, you know, there's a big topic amongst Nick fans right now of like putting quickly in the starting lineup, moving Alfred Payton to the bench where he could be surrounded by a little bit more shooting and that gets into the top end of it all. But just sticking with this for a second. Yeah. He has to um, play with Alfred Payton. So I think there's an argument that for as great as he has been, there is maybe another level for him to reach. And if you look at his numbers with quickly, um, I, I actually haven't checked them today. They had a, a rough stretch against Utah, but then again, everybody's been having rough stretches Bro. against Utah. last <laughs> night, like, but um, it, it's a, they're averaging like 115 points per 100 possessions um, with uh, quickly and Randall on the floor together. So, in, in short, I, I I don't for a franchise that has been so starved for a guy that we can look at and be like, okay, we have a guy, right? They had Porzingis. We don't need to talk about what happened there. Um, But now they've been given this gift. And if it was a gift that was built on unsustainable, you know, bricks, I would be like, you know what? Let's like work the phones. Let's get this guy out of here. Let's try to get a first round pick. If we get a first round pick and a young player, all the better. But here's the thing. He's not doing anything he hasn't done before. Outside of some what was early in the year, like some um unsustainable long uh like long twos uh shooting. Yeah, that's
0: starting to come down a little it, bit. The numbers yep. for the year, like he's shooting 45.9 percent on long twos, like that's gonna go down. He's not Kevin Durant. He's shooting fifty-one yeah. percent on 10 to 16 feet twos, like that's gonna go down. But you're right, the playing style is we've seen this before.
1: Yeah, and he's just it's two things really. It's It's a almost um, like over, you know, overabundance of like, I am going to try to make the right pass. And I actually, the funny thing is, you know, the one criticism of his this year is that the turnovers have been kind of high. I think that's because he's actually at times been overpassing, which you, if you would have said that to any Knicks fan last year, they would have been like, come on, you're not like, this is not a real version of the future, but it is. Um, and he's, he's actually, you know, his rim numbers are like worse than a couple other seasons he's had in the past. Um, he's, he's shot roughly this percentage from three before the year he had in New Orleans. And he, uh, if, I don't know if you saw an article that came out recently from Mike Vorkanoff of the athletic, um, he was working on his three point shooting all summer. So I think, and not that we haven't heard that before, but like 34% isn't crazy. And then the most important thing is the defense he's committing, um, he's clearly bought into whatever Tom Thibodeau is selling, so you know. For me, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm. Listen, the, the people out there are like, "No, we can't trade Julius Randle." That's there's like two players in the in the NBA you can't trade. So you can trade him, but it has to be a deal where you're getting. I, I I've been saying this, and I don't know if this is too much, but this is my stance. It has to be a a pick that's not the Marcus Morris Lakers or Clippers pick. It has to be a pick that's a real like a juicier asset yes. and a young player that's like you know has a chance to be here for a while. Um and I and I the last thing I'll say is I think the reason why the Knicks should maybe secretly like you give them truth serum and they'll admit to it be more open to this is because of Obi Toppin and you did just in, uh, invest the 8th pick in the draft in, in this guy and while I think there's a world where they could coexist together and top plays play some center and you kind of get funky with your defensive like alignment and whatnot, the the simplest route is top your four. And then, you know, maybe he plays five to 10 minutes a game at the five. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with Randall.
0: I, I'm in the same place. And I think the way that I would put it is you have to trade him from a position of we are trading the best player in this deal, right? Like. It's not necessarily a superstar trade. You're not going to be holding a bidding war, but you're not going into it saying, we are trying to get rid of Julius Randle. You're going into it saying, we have Julius Randle. What can we get that in a long-term sense is better than him? Especially because, I mean, you mentioned it with Alfred Payton. Like, he definitely has a level to climb. There's one player on the entire Knicks roster right now that has an offensive rating above 107. Can you guess who that player is?
1: Um. Uh, it might have gone down after last night, but was it Alec Burks?
0: It's Alec Burks, 112.4. Not a coincidence that he is leading the team in three-point attempts. I think it's 5.4 per game, and he's shooting 44.7% on threes. If you give Randall and Barrett too, if you give them more space, and this is more of a problem for Barrett, frankly, because you know Randall has the ball in the China Shop thing, where he's going to get fouled if he drives, or he's going to like. It, it's easy enough for him to find points in the lane. Barrett's having a real problem where when he runs a pick and roll and drives, like there are three people in the paint. If the Knicks can just get even like the, a league average amount of spacing around those two guys, like they're both going to play better and their value is going to go up. Obviously, I'm not in a position where I'm thinking trade Barrett, but if you're going to trade Randall, you might as well do it from a position of strength. And if it's it's pretty clear at this point, when you put the shooters in the game, that's when they're scoring points. They're not scoring at a particularly, like what I think you said they were bottom six, they're 25th. Something like Their that. Overall
1: offense. overall offense. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean the quickly lineups are what's working and that's the next place I want to go because I mean, I'll admit I was a little bit of a quick, quickly skeptic. There's the famous graphic out there that on CBS sports D plus for the pick. I did not give that grade, but I also did not disagree <laughs> with it. Um, And then when the preseason came, it reminded me a little bit of the Kyle Kuzma shooting in the preseason where it's like, oh, that's cute. Like late 20s pick, you know, he's shooting well. It's going to go down Whatever it went down for Kyle Kuzma. It goes down for most guys. But the more you watch quickly, the more you realize, A, the shooting is like, that's real. Like he's going to be an above average NBA shooter at a bare minimum. And B, he's not just a shooter. Like this is a point guard. And the thing that I always judge rookie point guards on more than anything is the turnovers. Are they making the same mistakes over and over again? Are they making dumb mistakes? And the thing with quickly is like, he just isn't right. When you watch the turnover tape, he'll do something once and then he won't do it again. Like, Oh, he'll do the thing where he catches the pass in motion and he'll travel. Or he has a couple, he's had a couple of weird lob passes. He kind of does the goal line fade thing on lobs. Yeah. Where he throws well, passes that like only his guy can catch, but will occasionally go way too high. But like, these aren't real problems. What I really want out of a rookie point guard is, I want to see that you're learning on the move and that you're improving. And just every time I watch quickly, he's a little better, right? Like I remember in the Nets game, there was a play. They run a double drag, pick and roll. And just when you're running a double drag, if you're going to do the little pocket pass, you got to do it quickly. I mean, no pun intended. Because if you don't, the defense is going to get set and it's going to be gone. So he runs the double drag and Mitch looks at him expecting that, pitch, that pocket pass. It's not there. So Mitch looks away, quickly gets up in the air and he kind of throws it at Mitch's head. And it's like, oh, that's just a rookie mistake. And then sure enough, they run the same play. I think it's two games later against Boston. This time it's Toppin and Knox, I think. I can't remember exact. I think it was Toppin and Knox. As soon as he gets around the screen, pocket pass right into Toppin's pocket. Easy runway to a dunk. Like, it's the same play. Fixes the mistake. Boom. That's what I want to see out of a rookie point guard. Are you absorbing what's happening around you? Are you learning from your mistakes? And that's what's happening with him. He's getting better every single game. And I think we're now at a point where I think it's reasonable to say, like, there's a good chance that he's the long-term point guard for the Knicks.
1: Oh, um, I mean, that's a question on a lot of Knicks fans' minds right now, right? Um, because you look at, like, here, here's my thing with, when we talk about point guards, is we we exist in a league where, um, you know, until further notice, you need a, a big wing initiator to really um, compete for at the highest level. And, and the Knicks obviously don't have that player. Like it, it, I guess maybe there's, a, I'm, I'm a, a little lower on Barrett's ceiling than some, some of my uh, fellow content creators. And I catch it. I agree with it. that. Yeah. I, I catch a little bit of grief for that. So I don't, I'm not trying to say anything bad about RJ Barrett, but I think um, there, there's a, there's still for as much as he's been really, really wonderful, especially the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure he's that guy. Um, so assuming they are, they figure out a way to get that player, whether it's, you know, via trade, whether it's, they get lucky in the draft and then, you know, Kate Cunningham or one of these other guys that might get at the top, um, th- that's, that's a missing piece anyway. So if you get that piece, then you don't really need your point guard to like, you know, be Dame Lillard, or I'm trying to think of like a couple other examples that are, you know, Seth Curry, obviously. Like he could just as long as it's a guy who can, as you were talking about, put the ball on the floor and make sound decisions, make make sound decisions and then execute those decisions Um, and obviously hit shots. And this is a dude he was like he actually got off to a slow start at Kentucky last year. And I think over his last I don't know if it was dozen games, 15 games, something around there. He was like 45 percent from deep. Um you know, and this sh- well, and we the th-
0: form opinions on college shooters so quickly, right? Re- remember when Trey Young shot like fifty percent for twelve, fourteen games, then didn't make a three for like the next ten afterward. It didn't matter. We had formed the opinion he was yeah. Stephen Curry, and I think the same thing happened with Quickly, just in reverse.
1: Yeah, uh, and so you know, and and he's listen, he's still going through slumps. He was zero for four from deep last night. He had a rough game against Utah. Um, But you're you're seeing to what you were talking about. You're seeing growth not only from game to game. You're seeing growth within games, like the Portland game. Um, made a couple little errors in the first half, came out second half. Um, my uh, buddy Zach Delugio did a great thread for the Strickland pointing out like, um, where he was kind of trying to get into the floater too soon, which he's a little over relying on, um, made these adjustments in the second half ended up with, you know, a, a yet another career high, 31 points, almost brought them back single-handedly, um, so, is there a world where he could be a an above average starting NBA point guard in the right, you know, lineup configuration? Absolutely. Um, do I think that means the Knicks should not continue to think about how they may potentially address um, that position? I- I'm not so sure. I think it that more depends on the opportunities that are that are available out there. Um, but yeah, no, there's no reason to, to think that he can't continue to grow based on what we've seen through whatever it's been like 15 or 16 games.
0: Does he have a nickname yet? Or is it just IQ? Is it going to be IQ forever?
1: I mean, I think he go he, like some people call his teammates. I've heard refer to him as, as quick just in, in like the, the, um, zoom sessions.
0: So we could do better
1: than that. We could do better than that. I, he I has like,
0: such a great name initially that it's hard, but like, it really
1: is hard. If you're a New York
0: point guard, especially, like, just coming from this era of horrible Knicks point guards for so long, I feel like we can do better than that. I don't have a good answer. I've wanted to give a small point guard the nickname Popcorn forever. I just think that it's, like, (laughs) such—I don't know why this hasn't happened yet, you know, because you've got the hops, but also, like, how does Popcorn heat up? It heats up quickly. So I'm just throwing that out there.
1: That's good. No, that's not, that's not bad. Um, And he, you know, he kind of he has a bounce to his step. Right. Yep. Um, and it's it's noticeable. And he you know, obviously plays a lot of energy in the whole thing. I, 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 I maybe I'll try that out in an upcoming newsletter. We'll see.
0: Let's get that going, because I think he needs a real nickname. Don't get me wrong. Like the name Emmanuel quickly, especially with the IQ initials. It's a great name. I don't oh. want to like the smarts, the name. But if you're the point guard of the Knicks and you're maybe the most exciting young player they've had since Porzingis, I think you need a nickname. So I'm just going to throw that one out there. I tried it with Isaiah Thomas and it didn't catch on. I've been waiting for the Mm -hmm. right secondary guy. I think that he's the one. But I want to go back to Barrett for a second because I'm with you. I'm a Barrett skeptic. And I think I'm going to point back to Alfred Payton here. I don't think Alfred Payton is a worse player today than he was a few years ago. In fact, I think he has been, frankly, a constant since he entered the NBA. You know exactly what you're getting, which is pretty good defense, like competent point guard play, no shooting whatsoever. The issue is the NBA is changing around him. So every year that lack of shooting becomes less valuable. And he, through no fault of his own, being the same exact player, becomes less valuable every year. Barrett is not the non-shooter that Peyton is, right? Like, I think we can easily imagine a scenario in which with proper spacing and experience and hard work, Barrett is like a league average shooter from behind the arc. I don't think he's going to get much better than that. But broadly, if he can get to 35%, something in that neighborhood, with all the other tools he has, like, now we're talking. Now we might have a guy who can score a pretty efficient 24, 25 points a game. I just don't like to project shooting improvement. I I don't know that it's, I, I guess, I don't know that it's likely. But if it comes, like, the flashes are there, right? Like, you see this, like, once or twice every game. He had it against Gobert last night. Where he they run the pick and roll and Gobert drops and he kind of does the slowdown thing where he looks like he's gonna kind of do a floater. Then he just zooms around and yeah. stuff before Gobert even knows what's happening.
1: That was so not, nice a lot to of guys, see.
0: not a lot of guys can pull one over on Rudy Gobert. Like that's yeah. a short list. Yeah. And the deceleration and the acceleration, like I'll just be honest, sometimes it looks like James Harden. Now he's not James Harden for a variety of other reasons, but the tools are there, and finding a guy like that, like I don't know, the the ceiling, it's like there are 10, 15 guys in the NBA who can do stuff like that.
1: I I wouldn't well, – you
0: know, go ahead.
1: No, no, I was going to say, because the ceiling to me is is Jimmy Butler. Now, is he going to be Jimmy Butler? Almost certainly not. Jimmy Butler was the best player in several finals games last year. <laughs> Those guys don't grow on trees. But, like, if, to me, the a guy who can do some ball handling for you – And is able to, you know, get into the paint at will and is crafty enough. Like nothing comes easy for Barrett around the paint. Right. That's the thing. That's my biggest knock on him is he's not this kind of athlete where he's going to blow by guys or he's going to rise up or he's going to hang in the air and like make like he needs to work for it. And he needs to almost have the game of like a 35 year. Like he needs to have like Dwayne Wade old man game around the rim to be able to score efficiently, but we've seen that he's doing some of that stuff this year, like, especially in the last several games. So like, yeah, I don't, man, if, if, if he could get to that level, I think every Nick fan should be absolutely positively, you know, ecstatic. I know I would be, I just, like you said, it's tough to project shooting. So where does that leave you?
0: So Jimmy Butler, I think is an important, data point here not because jimmy butler is probably frankly the exception to this rule but look at all the guys that thibodeau has had on the wing and his primary ball handlers like derrick rose injuries never the same Luol dang injuries never the same etc etc how nervous are you about the minutes that barrett and randall are playing
1: i'm so i'm uh, full disclosure i'm an inherently trusting person um (laughs) i should not be but it's just
0: you're yeah,
1: a Knicks fan my, too, that's pretty rare it's really, it's, It still hasn't been beaten out of me Go figure um, I think this um, the, the Rose regime, the Leon Rose You know, and, and the people that he's brought into The front office um, You know, I think they're Kind of, from, from everything I've Been led to understand Been revamping, you know, every aspect Of the organization, and that includes From what I gather, like their Sports science department and to me, if they're looking at this and like, OK, um, he you know, he's he's OK to play these minutes. Um, and here's the thing. He's averaging 37 minutes a night, but he's also has, I think, a 22 usage rate right now, which is like Yeah, obviously Randall not. is
0: the one who's like touching the ball and like expending the energy on every given possession more so than Barrett is.
1: Yeah. And so I, I, but, and then, so then is the question like, okay, well, are you worried about Randall? Uh, t- to me, like, if you could like f- physically Randall is like, he, the dude's just a monster. Um, And I do think it's important to note that Randall is, and I'm going to, this is a compliment. It's not going to come out like a compliment, but it's good. It's a compliment. He's still good at knowing when to conserve energy on the defensive end and don't get me wrong well he was eight. an expert in it for the past five years right well so of course it, it it was, he, he could have taught a, a grad course in it over the last five years this season i think he's picking his spots wisely in that when like he knows what his responsibilities are he will get out on shooters um when it is required um on in one-on-one situations he's been really really good but that's not really been an issue for him either um i just think Like, I think that I think Thibodeau realizes where, like, how he needs to be careful with Randall in terms of energy conservation and like the whole thing. Thus far, I'm not worried. Uh, Check back with me in a few months is the best answer I can give you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's easy to be okay with it when you're onto this feel good start and you know, you're like legitimately in the playoff race. It might get a bit harder when you get to the dog days in like March and April. And maybe you're on a four-game losing streak and you find yourself wondering, like, is this really worth it? But just to go back to starting out this well, the last thing I want to address before getting into the long-term issues is the defense. How real do you think this is? Because, I mean, from a pure shot selection standpoint, it seems – I don't want to say fake. I don't think that they're going to end up as a top-five defense. They're allowing the fourth-highest percentage of threes in the NBA, 44.2%. And they're allowing the fifth-most shots within three feet of the hoop. So, like – that is an analytically disastrous defensive shot selection. The issue is, or what's helping them or keeping them in the top five, is that opponents are just missing all their threes. So my question is: I think we could probably both agree this isn't a top five defense. Is it a top ten defense? Is it a above average defense? Like where do you think it settles?
1: In there, um, between five and fifteen. If they if they end the year between five and fifteen, I think that's a that's a pretty major accomplishment. Um, you know, the 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 things that have been good are Mitchell Robinson has taken a step forward. Um a, by by no means a perfect player still, but he is a, a an above average, certainly I would even say probably a top ten um defensive center in the league. I think right that's now. pretty
0: reasonable. Yeah. Now if you yeah. would have told me they had a top five defense, I would have said Mitchell Robinson the defensive player of the year. Which exactly. he is, and that's fine. Like, he's not an all-defense all, an all defense guy yet, but no. he's kind of where everybody else is. He's just more athletic in that he's now in the right spot way more often. Like, there's not as mm-hmm. much of the block facing. You know, he's kind of just he's, – he's playing within the system. My question, though, is the system is kind of strange just because when Thibodeau was in Chicago and you think about the flooding the strong side scheme and the way that they used to play, like, especially in those early years, they were giving up the fewest threes in the NBA, like, every year. Now they're giving up the most. Is that a
1: tips thing? Is that a personnel thing? No, I think it's it's a I think it's a tips thing. Um he he wants to protect the paint at all costs, which obviously they're not doing right now because teams are like you said, they're shooting the third or fourth or whatever highest um, frequency shots um in the paint. But I also think that a lot of the shots that opposing teams are getting in the paint are not good ones, which if you look at the rim accuracy numbers for for defenses the knicks are if they're i think they're on the border of like the top five so they're deterring a lot of these shots at the rim that that opposing teams are taking the three-point thing you know this is it's that's trickier for me because i i don't know that there's a great answer for this other than like we have seen teams you know quote-unquote like live off of getting lucky in the past like the brad Stevens celtics for i don't know however many years the first four or so years of his career there like they always gave up a ton of open threes and yet they were always um in the like team's shot at like on the lower end in terms of or like near the bottom of the league in terms of how how many they would make is that because like it's like the just like the presence of Marcus smart there and him like flying out at you is gonna make a difference I, I don't know I will say this like the Knicks don't take any possessions off on defense like 19 games in now as we're recording this they have they're hustling and like it's it's rare that guys uh opposing teams will have all the time in the world to just like load up and fire away um they're also the other thing it's it's worth noting is they're not necessarily limiting shots from the corners, but most of the threes that they give up are above the break threes. I think they're like, that's six, a
0: Thibodeau staple. That's something that has yeah. always been really, really big on.
1: Yeah. And, and so, you know, and look, they could still, they could still get better at that. And is, is Randall the, like we were talking about before is Randall, the ideal guy that you want in that spot. He he is not necessarily the most fleet of foot when it comes from getting from where he has one foot in the paint out to contest um a3 no but you know these are team building questions that they need to have going forward um you know i do wonder when they mo- moving forward building this team will they will they employ more not will they employ more switching will they try to craft a roster where switching more makes sense because right now they're really i mean they are doing that occasionally but they're not a lot and that would help alleviate, I think, some of the some of the issues, um, you know. But again, that's a wait and see thing, and we have to remember, like, they really didn't have a lot of roster flexibility other than like margin moves. Like, this roster was always essentially going to be okay. We have Mitch, we have Randall, we have Barrett, um, you know, and and a point guard who can't shoot. So where, where, where they go from here, we'll you know, we'll, we'll see.
0: The switching question is one that I think every team that is at all heavily invested in the center is asking themselves like Philly theoretically can switch a fair bit because Joel Embiid can switch. The question is, is that the optimal use of a player like Joel Embiid in the regular season? The answer is no in the playoffs. I mean, we don't have a good answer yet because we haven't really seen it at least to the level that we would probably want to like Rudy Gobert is not a great switch defender. And we've seen that become a problem in the playoffs for the jazz. So I think it would basically have to come down to, you'd better have four other guys on that defense that you really trust. If you want to put Mitch in that position, I don't think they're there yet, but I I don't think it's totally outlandish to suggest that they could get there, but I want to transition more into the long-term outlook here because right now they're eight and 11. They're not quite as promising in a short-term sense as maybe we thought. I think teams are onto the fact that they can't really score, but I think there's a reasonable chance that they're going to make the play in, right? Like, Right now, they're in ninth. They're ahead of Toronto, and Toronto's probably going to pass them. They're ahead of Miami. Miami's probably going to pass them. But I don't think that Cleveland and Orlando are quite as good as their record is. So I think in the end, they're probably going to land somewhere in that 9, 10, 11 range. That's not what we thought coming into the year, right? Like, I, I can't speak for you. I thought they were going to be a tank for Cade. What, what's the fancy rhyme that they're doing? Like, I, oh, I don't fade even. For,
1: fade for fade Cade? Fade for
0: Cade. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought they were a fade for Cade team. Clearly, they're not. Like, Barring some real lottery luck, they're going to be picking something like 8th, ninth, 10th. You're probably not getting a star in that spot. So before we address free agency and trade, you're probably not getting another core piece this offseason. So that raises the question of what's the outlook here? Like, where are you going for the star? I know you've talked about Bradley Beal a fair bit. Are you thinking, are we going all in for the first trade we can find? What is the outlook?
1: Um so t- i'll answer this in two parts in regards to the draft um i i've been you know told for a while now like they have the 2021 draft you know circled in in bright red marker on their on their calendars in, in msg and i think they're the thinking is that they've they've loaded up on all these extra picks they have the the detroit Second rounder, which is going to be you know whatever thirty first, thirty second, thirty third.
0: Pick is looking good right now. Like yeah, that, and realistically, yeah, that's not going to be a top five pick, but that might be no. like the seventeenth or eighteenth pick.
1: But but so that's the thing, right? Is like between the so there's the Pistons pick. They also have the Charlotte pick, but I mean, and you could only trade so many of these to move up for one. But like, is there a world where, let's say, for argument's sake, they have the eighth or ninth selection? They could package 8 and, um, you know, 17 or 18 and 31 or maybe like 8, 17 and like the 23 Dallas pick to move into the top five, which you would say, okay, well, you know, that's really hard to do. We see trades like this happen like every other year. And Walt Perrin, who the Knicks got from the Jazz to be their assistant GM for for college scouting he pulled this off when he traded up for uh, Darren Williams. He moved, it was, I think six and a pick in the twenties. And I think maybe one other little asset um, to move up to three. Um, it's, is it, you know, we just saw it obviously with, with Trae Young and, and Luka Doncic. It's like you can move up if you have a, if you really want to. And if you, if it's the right guy, that's worth moving up for the question is, is, are, you know, will that guy be there? And, um, you know, that w- remains to be seen and who knows, maybe they get lucky, but I don't think th- just to answer it the way you phrase it, I don't think they're punting on this draft just yet. I think they I think they, they are going into this, like wherever we land, we'll be able to figure out a way if we want to, 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 to come away with a, a difference maker. If we think that that player is there Um. now, the, the corollary to this is, well, Yes, as of right now, they're I think only a game and a half or two games out of like the fourth worst record in the league. So I I wouldn't put it past them to to move down a little bit further in the standings. At the same time, I don't think they're going to sit tight and like you know just go with this this team for the rest of the year. I think they're going to try to add a piece. Um, do I think? I they're think gonna... I know who
0: that piece is going to be. But go on.
1: Well, so. I mean, the, the name that I've I've been kind of thinking of for months is is Victor Oladipo. Um, well, I don't. You're think more he's...
0: ambitious than I am, but go
1: on. I'm. I'm what were you guessing, Lonzo, or I'm no? Trying to I was gonna
0: was... say the easiest like win now piece they could have, and obviously he hasn't played well this year. Is JJ Redick because they have this cap space, oh. burning a hole in their yeah. pocket. They sorely need shooting. It seems yeah. like such a simple solution here, where nobody's gonna give up picks to get JJ right now. Given his salary and how badly he's playing, just go to the Pelicans and say, "Hey, we'll take eleven million dollars off your hands. Sure, we can afford it."
1: And I, I think that I, I again, my understanding is that they've they talked to the Pelicans before the season started. I think there's a there's a deal there to be made because the the Pelicans have what is it, 32? so whereabouts? They're
0: bordering on the tax. They're not. Quite there, but like that's an expensive team that's not going to make the playoffs. Or well, at least I was about right to now, say,
1: it's, it, like it's a lot of money for the Bensons to pay for a team that is whatever they are, five and nine or five and ten. Um, so I think there's a deal there to be made if they already know that they like. I think they're going to trade Lonzo Ball. Whether Lonzo Ball is an answer for the Knicks is another question. But I think the the point is that the Knicks are looking at this as a season where you know, the, Leon Rose knows what he walked into. They were the laughing stock of the league, they've been the laughing stock of the league for a very long time, and I think they see an inherent value in escaping that designation as long as you are not impinging in, or uh, your ability to build the team moving forward. So like I don't think they're gonna trade like a first round pick for anybody. Um, like maybe the 23 Dallas pick. Possibly for like uh, for the right it, player, it would have
0: to be somebody on a rookie deal. I think if they were going to go that route,
1: well, or you know, yes, exactly. If if they were if they were to trade a first round pick, I agree, it would have to be someone on a rookie deal. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're more looking for buy low candidates, guys who are entering free agency, um, and who it's basically like let's use our cap space to get a jump on. You know, a guy who sure we might be able to just sign him in the offseason but like get that incremental advantage to to get him in house and keep him in house. What do you pay for the right to do that? I don't know. You pay a second round pick. You pay Frank Nilakina, Um, for I don't know if anybody actually wants him, but whatever. Uh, you know, Well, Nick Twitter like- wants him. Well, Nick, I, listen, I I'll always love Frank. I just I think that it's run its course here. I I,
0: I think he's gonna have a nice career as like a, a tenth or ninth man on another team.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah, I think he, I think, and listen, if he, if he hits shots like he was before he got hurt this season, that's absolutely within the realm of possibility, maybe even a little higher level, but so yeah, maybe there's a team that wants him. Um, I bet you could get him at a a cheap price this summer when he's a restricted free agent. Um, But I I think there will be because they have all that cap space still just sitting there. um, I think there's a world where they can add something to make a little push, um, but I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're they're, they're going to do that haphazardly. I guess is the is the way that I would is the way that I would put it.
0: So sell me on the Depot idea. I'm intrigued by this. I think it's something that Thibodeau would love. He is like a prototypical Tom Thibodeau player.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, you know, we've seen him play a little point guard in in Houston when Wall was out when he first got there. Um. He, I mean, the the teams he had where he was alongside Collison in, in Indiana. Like, I don't care what the what the stat sheet said about who was playing what position like Victor Oladipo was the point guard on those teams like he was he was running running those offenses um so he can he could direct an offense and if you're the Knicks and all of a sudden you can slot him in alongside RJ Barrett and Julius Randle then maybe it makes a little bit more sense because right now t- Tibbs does not want to insert quickly into the starting lineup and you get it right because he's a he's a rookie and like that's a lot for a rookie, right? No ma- like he's done a lot of good things, but to to make him a, a starting point guard, that's like, you know, you're asking well, a lot.
0: We should be clear on this in general. Like, no matter what the stats say, there are exceptions to this. John Morant was an exception to this. No matter yeah. what the numbers say, rookie point guards are bad NBA players. Like, that's yeah. just how it works. I'm sorry, like, they turn the ball over too much. They don't know what they're doing. They might score points. I'm sorry, just for the most part. And I would think quickly, at least as a rotation player, has kind of bucked this trend. I don't know that he would as a starter, but as a general rule, rookie point guards are bad players.
1: Yeah, um, they are. And and he's been good. And I think that's part of the other reason why Tibbs doesn't want to put him in the starting lineups is he wants him to keep being good, right? Which is easier to do if he's, if he's um, playing, you know, against backups. But so I think getting Oladipo would give them some options. They can move quickly into starting lineup. They could just have Oladipo be the nominal point guard alongside a guy like Alec Burks alongside RJ Barrett alongside Julius Randle. all of a sudden. Yeah, no, you don't have a true point guard, but you have four guys who like in different, very different ways can run an offensive possession adequately. Like even Burks, he's been kind of playing point guard a few times earlier in the year. He did that knows how to run a pick and roll. Um, and then if you, you could obviously keep Mitch in there, you could throw Toppin in there as a small ball five, like all of a sudden things get a little interesting. And, but then obviously, you know, you phrase the question like, okay, thinking long-term, what does that mean for you? Right? Because you're not trading for Oladipo to lose him in the off season. You're trading for him to re-sign him. So how do you re-sign Oladipo and make sure he doesn't go to Miami? You give him, whether it's like, what's going to be enough? Is it the full bag for four years? Do you have to give him the fifth year? Like, I don't know what the answer to that question is. And I don't know what the Knicks' stomach is for such a move. But if you're looking at this right now and you're the Knicks and you're like, okay, at some point we got to, you know, you know what, or get off the pot. um, I, I would be surprised if they didn't at least strongly consider it. If the opportunity, you know, presented itself.
0: I would be very scared of an Al Horford situation developing with Oladipo where, just to those who don't know, Al Horford is a free agent in 2016. The Hawks offer him the full four-year max, which is more than any other team can offer. But Horford says, I have full bird rights. Why aren't you offering me five? He gets insulted by it, and he ends up going to Boston, right? The Oladipo to Miami thing, that's the worst kept secret in the NBA. Everybody knows that Victor Oladipo wants to go to the Heat. That doesn't necessarily mean he will, and... I actually want to get into another heat thing in a second, but they quietly don't have max cap space. It's not as simple for them. as just snapping their fingers and adding Victor Depot. But I think if they're close, there's a very good chance he ends up there. The situation you don't want to put yourself in. If you're the Knicks is Old Depot saying, I want the full five-year max given my injury history, given all of the other concerns that come with signing a player. I think he's, he's not, he, he didn't come into the league at 19. He played a few years in college He's had the injuries. So like that's a risky, risky signing. If you don't give him the full five years, I think there's a very strong chance that he goes to the Heat. Yeah. The, other, the Heat happened to have another target that I very much like, which is Duncan Robinson, for a few reasons, right? He's restricted, so obviously you're taking a big risk on your cap space there. But you couldn't ask for a better fit as far as needing shooting. And I think if the Heat do want to add Victor Oladipo, if you sign Duncan Robinson to that offer sheet right away, suddenly you're putting them on the clock, right? It's like Houston with Jamal Parsons <laughs> yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. And if the worst case scenario is you've ruined Miami's cap situation, well, then you've taken out one of your free agent competitors for the next couple of years. So that's not the worst place to be either.
1: No, no they're, they're in a good spot. I, and I, I think here, here's what I, I would say. Um, I think the Knicks are right now. And even with this summer with like the Westbrook stuff, like, they're going to look at every opportunity and be like, okay, is this the best way for us to maximize what we have going for us right now, which is essentially flexibility. Right. Um, And that's why I I still think they would have taken on Westbrook if they could have gotten a pick with it, but didn't transpire. It's fine. Um, And they
0: dodged a bullet on that one.
1: Oh my goodness gracious. Did they? Um, And we are, we are all thankful here uh, for that in New York. Um, But with, with Oladipo, it's like, Because that is kind of an all-in move, right? Going five years on that guy, and I don't think they would. I don't think they would sign a contract that they didn't think that they could trade. And like I reported it over the summer, like they were absolutely in on Gordon Hayward at three years and like seventy million, Um, which was the
0: sensible number. And then the Hornets blew them out of the water. And by the way, I was not only was the Gordon Hayward contract crazy. I mean, I wrote it was one of the worst contracts of all time, just because they had to stretch Nick Batum with it which yep. is another 27 million. I couldn't believe at the time that there wasn't a deal to be made of Julius Randall for Nick Batum like that at the time, seemed like <laughs> great because now you don't have to stretch Batum. You just get one year of Julius yeah. Randall. That's neither here nor there. I, I do agree with you. They were definitely in on Gordon Hayward and yeah. then just blew everybody out of the water. I do think that they're sort of in a net situation from the last couple of years where all they were trying to do was get back to a point of competence because the Knicks can't recruit players when they're the Knicks, right? Exactly. They recruit star free agents. When James Dolan is, you know, banning guys from the garden and they're the worst team in the NBA, yada, yada, yada. But if they get back to a point of basic competence, now all of a sudden, New York looks pretty appealing. The issue is, I don't know who the free agent is because quietly, like right now they have all the cap flexibility. That's not going to last forever. Mansion and Knox both get new contracts, 2022. Barrett's will kick in in 2023. But it's harder to, you know, do chicanery with that because I assume you're going to extend Baird at the first possible moment. So basically what you're looking at is you have two more cap space off-seasons. You have 21 and you have 22. In those off-seasons, within reason, you can sign basically anybody that anybody who wants to come. But there aren't any stars available in 21, right? Like, they're not getting Kawhi. I'm sorry, Knicks fans, that's not happening. 22 is a bit harder to predict, but I wouldn't assume they're going to be an on Beal. I mean, maybe, but... My prediction is he, he gets traded I don't to see it. in the stays.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't – listen, I don't think – that. but that's why I think they're going to get creative and I think they're going to be maybe a little bit more ambitious because I think they foresee the route as let's just make sure we have – in a position to have tradable contracts – When the because I think they believe they're going to have to trade for their the bet the best player on the the next great next team and I think
0: they probably think I mean just I mean to non Knicks fans out there I think one of the Kentucky guys is probably who they assume just given all the Kentucky and the CAA connections I think Carl Anthony Towns is probably the most likely but somebody in that like played for Kentucky between 2013 and 2016 range is probably who they think that guy is. But that's the value of adding somebody like Oladipo, right? Because then say you get Carl Anthony Towns a year later, if you have a core of Barrett Ola Depot towns, just put shooting around those guys and like you might really have something.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I and, and again, it maybe it's maybe it's towns, maybe it's you know, uh, Embiid always seems to be perpetually on the on the verge of, you know, some kind of situation in Philly. Like obviously he's not a Kentucky guy, um, but he, he was, he's a CAA guy. Um, formerly represented by Leon Rose So like there is all these connections out there I think they are They are really just Going to try to keep as many balls In the air as possible for as long As possible and the only other thing I'll say in terms of like what you were talking about Before like that cap space is going to like dry up Quick like fast Um I, I think th- they will Like for instance Mitch They could make him restricted this summer And extend him or they could just say all right you know what you're gonna play for us for 1.8 million dollars next year and then you're gonna be unrestricted and we still have your bird rights like i wouldn't put it past them just going that route um and let you know m- maybe he shows even more improvement over the rest of the season but like i think that they are comfortable being uncomfortable um with, it, with as as it pertains to anyone other than their core guys. And right now, I think you put Randall in that category. I think you put Barrett in that category and that's it. Um, and everybody else is, I think they see as like a lesser chess piece on the board and like, what can we do with this? And and where can we go with this?
0: The Mitchell Robinson situation is so interesting because under normal circumstances, I would think the Knicks are so image conscious right now that they wouldn't want to risk pissing off the agent by making him play for 1.8 million next year. Like, I would think they would do what most teams did, like what, what the Nuggets did with Jokic, where you make him restricted and you just give him his extension. That's that. Here's the thing, Mitchell Robinson has had five agents since he's been in the S- NBA. Six. <laughs> is he on six now? Like
1: Yeah, this is he's on the sixth one. Yeah.
0: So I don't know that you necessarily have to worry about pissing off the agents in that scenario. Well,
1: but... And like let's let's call a spade a spade. Like, yes, Mitchell Robinson, what do we just say? He's a top ten defensive player. He is a guy that I Guess fancies himself as the having the ability to do more stuff on offense, but certainly hasn't shown it. And I'm I don't like he's he hasn't really earned that right. He's still like you know a little sloppy when it comes to setting screens and like getting up the court fast and like all the little things that Tibbs loves. um You know, you got a guy like Thomas Bryant. I know he just tore his ACL or whatever, but like. That dude's making $7 million a year in Washington, and he's putting up 30 every couple of weeks, right? And he's shooting threes, and he's like, I know he's at Civ on defense, but, like, we're really at an interesting point when it comes to the value of a defense or, sorry, a center in the NBA when, you know, you're not either, you know, like a Jokic or a Towns-level offensive fulcrum or a B-level fulcrum or in the case of Gobert, a walking top five defense by yourself. Um, like all due respect to the Stephen Adams extension, like good for him and his agent for getting that money, like go you. But like, I just think we're in a really interesting place with NBA centers right now. And I'm, I'm yeah. I'm like you said, I'm curious to see where it goes with Mitch as well.
0: Well, I think the issue is I think the Rudy Gobert contract and Mitch isn't the only guy who's affected by it, but I think he's going to look at the Gobert contract and say, well, okay, maybe I'm not Rudy Gobert, but I'm the same archetype of player, right? Like, I'm somebody that you view as the foundation of of your defense. I'm somebody with a lot of upside. I'm still young. I'm still super athletic. Maybe I don't deserve Rudy Gobert money, but, like, if they're willing to pay a defensive-minded lob-catching center, why won't you? The Knicks are not the only team in this position. I think Rudy Gobert put a lot of teams in a difficult situation, and, frankly, I wouldn't have signed that contract if I were the Jazz, but that's another conversation.
1: And it's not just him, like the Capella, con- I, I don't, I, Capella's a really nice player. I don't want to disparage him. I think he's, he's the fact that he does that, does this archetype as well as you can do the archetype on offense, at least um, defense, a little different story, but like, yeah, there are other guys who have like screwed with the market because teams, you, listen, teams make poor decisions. So <laughs> it's, it is, what it, it only is. takes and one.
0: That's the famous, that, it, it, the it, famous it, 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 and I it, it, promise you if yeah. Mitchell Robinson was a restricted free agent in an offseason where half of the league has cap space, somebody would look at that upside and be like $18 million a year, $20 million a year, something like that.
1: Oh, man. And just the, saying that out loud, the notion of giving Mitchell Robinson that kind of money is like, I don't think the Knicks want to be in that business. Um, yeah, and and I think
0: if they yeah, fortunately I are in the, they're fortunately in the position where they don't have to just decide right now, are we going to make him restricted, or are we going to keep him for $1.8 They can negotiate ahead of time and use that flexibility as leverage, right? Like maybe they go to him and say, we'll give you four years, $60 million, or you're playing next year for 1.8 million.
1: Yeah. And I, and that's, that's a great point because I think he's a guy that is definitely looking for like, okay, when are we getting that payday? Because like, he's not coming in on like a, the, the rookie salary of like an eighth pick. He's made, again it's just been it's on like 1.3, 1.6, 1. like these are not it's not a lot of money. So I personally don't even think they need to go that high. I think they could get away with something like 3 years uh, 40 million dollars. Um hey,
0: this is one of my pet thieves. My position especially on young guys is just always sign for the four years it's four years is not that long just lock them up as long as possible like
1: oh yeah i mean that's that's fine too if they want to if they want to go that route and go like you know okay fine four four for 48 there there's a number yeah um but i think based on his
0: actual play that is a fair number something in
1: that I, i would agree i would agree with that yeah
0: but i think the core issue here and i think we've done a nice job of kind of going in this direction is There isn't the obvious star, right? There's not a Durant on the horizon where you hear for a year leading up, like, oh, he wants to go to the Knicks or he wants to go to New York, as it turns out, he ends up with the Nets. You kind of have to slow play this because I do agree they probably are going to get a little worse in the standings. And I think there's a scenario where right now teams are shooting 31% on threes against them. If that rises to 38%, like if they go from the luckiest team in the NBA to the unluckiest, now maybe you're talking about finishing with the fifth of the sixth worst record and maybe getting lucky in the lottery. But realistically, you're probably not getting the star in the, in the draft. And there isn't an immediate one on the horizon. So I like the way that you put it. They, they want to have a lot of balls in the air. They want to have a lot of different opportunities to get guys. So just keep accumulating assets. Keep putting yourselves in position where right now, the cap space they have, they could really weaponize this in a pandemic year, right? Like, there are going to be teams that just say, we want to shave money. And the Knicks can just fly in and say, oh, funny you mentioned that. I have $19 million in cap space. What do you give me to take that money off of your hands? So I think this is going to be a slow process. I don't think that this is going to be a situation where you have a single target earmarked for years in advance. I think it's going to be a situation sort of like Brooklyn's was before they got Durant and Irving. Just be competent for a while. Leave your options open. And then when the opportunity to strike comes, you grab it. And that is what the future looks like. Right. I don't think that that plan has materially changed over this 19 game start.
1: Yep. No, no disagreement. And they got a guy in the front office in Brock Aller who was a cat maestro in Cleveland. Um, that is the guy you want if that's your plan moving forward. So I think that's the only other the only other thing that I would add. But yeah, no, I think you, you phrase it really well.
0: I think the Brock Aller mention is the perfect time to close things up. I think that's a bit too in the week. I think that's the point where we can kind of say, okay, you know what? We've had enough. Jonathan Macri, this was an absolute delight. Where can people read your stuff? Where can people follow you?
1: Um, easiest thing to do is just go, go to my Twitter. Uh, it's at JC Macri NBA, and there's a link there to my daily Knicks newsletter. If you want to read my musings about the Knicks every day, there's, uh, the option to do that. Which is where Um, a lot uh, of my uh, Knicks
0: opinions come from, by the
1: way. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, very much. Thank you. And, uh, the, the Knicks film school podcast, which, uh, we come out with three episodes a week and, um, that is about it. But yeah, I just really appreciate you having me on, man. This was a lot of fun
0: it was an absolute pleasure let's do this again sometime everybody else like or subscribe like whatever it is you do with podcasts share with your friends force them to listen that'll do it colin will be back with us on our next episode anyway thank you have a nice day